Hey, why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John is where we're going to be this morning in chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot a Bible, if you didn't bring your Bible, hey, if you don't own a Bible for sure, throw your hand up, grab one of these and take it as our gift to you. And go to uh, the book of 1 John. It's right near the back of the Bible. If you get to the very back in Revelation and start your way towards the front, you'll hit a few books, but you'll get like the three letters that John wrote, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We'll be in 1 John this morning, starting in chapter 1, verse 5. As you're turning there, I was thinking this week of a pretty incredible story from, um, from the Gospels. The, the, it's an account in, in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus is on his way somewhere. We're not sure where he's going, but he's, he's walking, and he's, he's walking through a crowd, and um, as he's going, there's this, this, this woman who's in the crowd, and, and she's, she's basically hiding out in the crowd. You know, you kind of do that. You get into a bigger place, a lot of people, that you can find a space to hide out, and she's hiding in the crowd. Now, why is she hiding in the crowd? She's hiding in the crowd because she has a, an ailment. We're not sure exactly what it is, but the symptoms of it are that she's hemorrhaging. She's bleeding all the time. And in that culture, to have that happen, it would make you ceremonially unclean. If you're, if you're ceremonially unclean, it means you can't worship in the temple. It means that people don't want to come near you and touch you because it would make them unclean. So here's this woman, and in, in, in the scripture it says she's been battling with this for 12 years. 12 years in isolation. 12 years in outcast. But it says in Matthew chapter 9 that she, she gets up close enough to Jesus to touch the hem of his garment. And, and, and it's pretty remarkable you think about that. To be able to touch the hem, the hem would be the very bottom part of what, what Jesus would be wearing at that time. And so to be able to get to the hem, what, what are you doing? What, what position do you have? I mean, she's right down on her face, crawling up, looking to not be seen. And she reaches out and touches the hem. At that moment, she experiences the, the glory and the grace of God in a miraculous healing. She's healed instantly. Jesus recognizes that, that something's happened. He says, you know, powers left him. He says, someone touched me. And, and here's the, the verse in Matthew chapter 9 that's so remarkable. It just leapt off the page at me this week. Matthew 9, 22, it says, after she touched him, it says, Jesus turned to her. Jesus turned he, he, he turned around. He, he wants to find this woman. Now, now, at first, she doesn't want to be found. She's hiding out for a reason, right? She doesn't want to be exposed. And, and I wonder if she's, she's feeling, man, if, if Jesus turns around now and Jesus says, hey, who touched me? She might think, I'm in trouble. He's going to be upset. He's going he's to reject me. He's going to treat me according to the law. I mean, how, how many people live like this today? Right, where, where we see God as someone, we, we need to hide from him. And, and what happens is we, we hide from God, then we also hide our stuff from each other because I don't want to be exposed to you as well. And, and then what happens, we kind of live out what, what, I mean, really, if you think of what outward religion is, it's just hiding, isn't it? It's just hiding my stuff, making sure I look good around other people. And, and we start to see Christianity as this, this thing we do to, to look better, to hide our brokenness and our shame a little better to hide the sin that we've done, to hide the sin that's been done to us, to hide the sin that we suffer in just because we're a, a part of a broken, sinful world. And so we hide. I kind of think of it, it, you're kind of like the, the, spiritually speaking, we're like the chubby guy at the beach that when somebody walks by, you kind of suck in your gut, right? Which way do the uh, workout places? Is it that way? Is that we work out? All right, I'm going, right? 
And spiritually, we do that, right? And we have this, this sin, we have this brokenness about us, and, and we do everything we can to kind of suck it in. We use perfection, we, we, use, we use blame shifting, oh, it's not my fault, and we try to cover ourselves up. And we, we could use money and stuff and image, we can use people, we can use substances, we can use religious activity. Anything we can do to hide. Why? Because we're convinced if I reveal this, I'm going to be condemned. I'm going to be rejected. But it says in Matthew, I love it, Jesus turned around. And, and, and he says, who touched me? It's in that moment, here she is in this dark place trying to hide. And Jesus is like, oh, no, no, no. I want to bring you into the light. I want to bring you into the freedom you've experienced in your healing. I want to bring you into ultimate, total freedom. But for that to happen, Jesus is saying, hey, who is this? You need to be exposed. And, and it's in this dark crowd. It's like Jesus doesn't just say, hey, turn on the house lights. What's going on? It's like Jesus says, hey, get the spotlight out and let's find who this is. And he puts a spotlight on this woman. Why? Because it's in this light of Christ that she finds healing and hope and restoration. But she has to step out of hiding. She has to step out of the dark into the light of God's holiness and grace. And, and that all leads up to what we're unpacking here in this letter that, that John's written. John, this disciple of Jesus, who, who's now, he's, he's taking the, the teachings of Jesus. He's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He's writing these letters, sending them out to a group of churches, churches just like us, filled with people just like us. People who are broken. People that have sin in their lives. People who have confusion about life. People who, who struggle with, with how life is playing out. People who struggle with self-control. Struggle in relationships. Some tough theological issues. You see it all here in this letter that, that John sends out. And, and, and you can picture John as this, this older pastor. And he, he loves these churches so much. So he's sending these letters out to encourage them and to challenge them. In fact, as we jump into these few verses this morning, before we hit verse five, look at verse four, because he gives one of the reasons why he's writing this letter. He says, I'm writing these things to you, what? So that our joy may be complete. As we jump into verses five to 10, that's the purpose that John has for us, that it's about joy. And what I want us to unpack this morning, I want us to unpack what it is to walk in this joy. Now, I do like this. The last time we were, we were in 1 John, uh, we just talked about the fact that he says our joy. I do like that. I love that he's, he's not talking about your joy and my joy, but John jumps into the midst of us and says our joy. This is an us thing because isn't that what church really is supposed to be? It's so countercultural to our, our Canadian culture. Canadian culture is, hey, isolate, hide out, fake it. Just stay on your own. Say disengage, be so surface. It's so lame. I love that we're pressing against that as a church. That, that as hard as it can be, you guys are pressing into community with each other. You're pressing into relationships to, to be known, to know others, to step out of the darkness together into the light together. Because here's the thing, in New Testament times, it would have been unheard of for someone to say that they're a Christ follower and not be connected to a church. It just wouldn't make any sense you can't find anywhere in the New Testament early church, you can't find somebody who says, well, I, 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 it's just me and Jesus. 
It's why we talk so much about small groups here. and It's why we talk about what does it look like to be known, to be connected. And it's, it's, it's awesome to see it happening throughout our church where, where people are doing life together. I keep hearing stories of people that are connecting. Even uh, in small groups for sure. Uh, I was just talking to a guy this morning, the, the group of them that went down to Mexico to help build the, the cafe for the church we're plant, we planted in Mexico City. And they're even talking about, yeah, we still connect each other. Every day I'll get a text or someone just saying, hey, how's it going? And guys just bearing their heart and their soul with each other. That's being being connected, caring for each other well, doing life together. And, and here's the thing about that. To do the our joy thing, to do this together, I get it, it's not easy. It, it's easier to hide out. It's easier to avoid. It's easier to not get involved. I kind of see it this way. It's, it's like when you're driving on the road and you see somebody broken down on the side of the road, you kind of have a choice right there, right? Do you want to get involved or do you not want to get involved? And so you can have these thoughts running through your head as you're driving by. You can say, well, I, I'm sure they've got a cell phone. They'll, they'll be all right. I'm sure they've already called the tow truck. Or, or you can think, well, well what am I going to do? How, how am I going to help them? I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not the right person to stop. Or maybe you think, how long is this going to take? Like if, if I have a place I have to get to. If, if I stop and help them out, I, I might be stuck there for hours. And I don't know if I want to do that. But, but then we, we read here in this letter, you've got this 85-year-old pastor, John. And, and, and he's, he started following Jesus as a teenager. And, and this guy's lived some life. He's, he's done ministry for a long time. He's seen a lot. He's been involved in a lot. And he could have easily said in the moment of his getting older in his, in his old age, he could have said, you know what? I've given so much, maybe it's my time to get. I mean, he could have made a move like, like so many Christians do where, 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 where it's, hey, you know what? Enough about what I do to serve and to reach out and to engage. Maybe, I just, maybe it's just about me right now. Maybe it's out of a brokenness you say that. I mean, I don't have much to give. I need to get right now. Here's the problem when you, do, when you walk that kind of a thought out, when you walk it out into action, what it does is it has a tendency of filling churches with consumers. And I think it's one of the, the greatest things to kill a work of God in a church is, is, is where we're all in. Hey, I just, I'm just coming in and going out. This is about what I'm gonna get out of this. And I, I just wanna come and go. And, and here's John, this, this old man, so full of joy, so full of love. And he'd been so changed by, by his walk with Christ. His life has been so radically changed by Jesus, changed by the reality of the gospel where he recognizes, man, I'm more broken and sinful than I would ever admit to anybody, but I am more loved than I could ever imagine. And, and what happens in John, he's like, man, I can't keep that in. That's just filled me up so much. I, I think of it this way. I kind of think of it like us as a Christian life. We're, we're kind of like this pop can. And, and when, when you meet Jesus and, and you experience the gospel the first, for the first time, it's like you get shook up a little bit, Right? It's like, Re really? I, I can be saved from, from my sin and brokenness? You mean really the, the creator of the universe loves me and knows me and calls me his child? And it kind of shakes you up. It gets you a little bit excited. And what happens when you get shook up as a pop can, right? right? No. You're like, shouldn't have sat in the front row. Look out, right? I'm not going to open up, I promise. So that's our lives. That's how we are to be as, as Christ followers. That, that, that we're so shook up by the gospel. If our response to the gospel is just kind of a, meh, we're a flat pop. 
We need to come back into the light of the gospel and understand the reality of what it is. We need to be shooken up again. And, and here's my hope for us this morning, that this morning is a morning where we get shaken up a little bit, where we get moved again by what the gospel really is. Now, the first question that might come right away when you hear that is, well, listen, if, if the joy of the gospel is so great, if the love of Christ can, can change me so much, if it can fill me up in such a way that I spill out with joy and grace and love for people, then, then why does my life have so little of that? Why does church feel meh sometimes? I've had a few people this week come to me and say this very phrase, each person saying it in a different way, but saying the same thing, saying, asking, saying, would you pray for me? Because what used to fire me up, now I just assume. I used to be so excited about the gospel and now I just kind of go through life assuming the gospel. I, I, they said this way, I used to come to church and just blown away that, that, that Christ would love me and save me and, and redeem me. I, I used to be so excited to think, man, I can't believe I get to worship a God like this in church. I used to be so excited about, man, I, I can't believe I have brothers and sisters around me that would love me enough to pour into my life. They said, but for some reason now I've just assumed it all. I mean, what is it that keeps us in that darkness? Can the light of the gospel, can the, the light, the joy that comes from the gospel, can it break through? And, and here's what we're gonna see this morning. The first thing we're gonna see, if we wanna step out of the darkness of complacency, the darkness of shame or sin or blame shifting or even just plain old hiding out, here's the first thing we have to find. We have to find where the light is. Look at verse five here, it says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Here's our first point this morning. Long introduction, it's gonna be a four hour sermon. It's not really. Here's our first point. God is light. God is light. Now John's saying, hey, I want you to understand this joy, this, this outpouring kind of joy. And the first thing you have to understand is this, that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Now, now I gotta tell you, when I first heard that, when I first read that, and I'm getting excited because John says, here's some joy for you. And he goes, here's the first part of where you see this joy. God is pure and holy. Like, really, John, that, that's it? That, that God is perfect? That, that he has no evil in him? He has no darkness in him? That, wh where's the joy come out of that? Wh where's the joy fit in there? Why would you start there, John? And John's basically saying this. He says, listen, if, if you want this kind of joy in your life, you have to start with God, not with you. You're never gonna have this kind of joy if you begin with yourself. You need to begin with God. And God, he says, God is light. God is perfect. God is holy. God is absolutely just. God, God doesn't tolerate evil. And if we don't understand that, if we don't grasp the fact that when Jesus turned around, when you reached out to him in your brokenness and shame and Jesus turned towards you to, to pursue you with grace and with love, if, if you don't understand that it comes from a place of purity and holiness and righteousness, it won't bring you joy. We can kind of have this image where, of course, Jesus loves me. That's in his job description. Like, it's what he has to do. That's who he is. But, but listen, if we miss his holiness, if we miss God's purity, if we miss God's righteous wrath against sin, we miss grace. We miss mercy. 
There's, there's this irony in, in modern Western Christianity where we're, we push so much away from, don't talk about God's holiness and righteousness and, and anger towards sin. Like, I, I want to hear about a God who loves unconditionally. Uh, I, I want to hear about a God who's nothing but love. But listen, listen, if there's no light of holiness, there is no real love. I mean, if God just kind of shrugs at our sin, kind of winks and looks the other way, I mean, no wonder we're not fired up by mercy and grace. Because it's not grace. God is light. He's perfect. He's pure. He's holy. And God presents himself first as holy. And then out of that holiness comes God's love. Isaiah 57, 15 says it this way. It says, for thus says the one who's high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. So that's who God is is showing himself as. He says this, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and low, low in spirit. So God's saying, listen, I'm above you. I'm separated from you. That's what holiness means. It just means separated. He's holy, but he says, but I love you. I'm high and holy, but I love the broken, especially the people who know they're broken. (coughs) So we see God's love coming out of his holiness. That's what mercy and grace really is. It's God's love pouring out from his holiness. Now, now what we often do, what what bad theology, bad teaching, what we do is we want to reduce the holiness of God and we want to minimize our sinfulness And John's saying, no, 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 no. If we want to start this whole thing off, we want to look for this kind of joy, you need to understand this message. You have to understand that God is pure and holy. And we are not. And there's good news, bad news in that. I mean, the good news is this, there is actually light. There is a God who, is, who, who brings hope and joy and goodness and justice. The bad news about God being a holy light is that God's light shines on our darkness reveals our sinfulness and our brokenness. I kind of picture it this way. When, when you watch one of those CSI shows, right, and, and what typically happens, they come onto a crime scene, right, and I've, I've seen a few of them, but every time it seems like they're always having flashlights. Like, just turn the lights on. You could probably see a lot more. But they got the flashlights. Why? Because they're looking on these crime scenes, and they're trying to let the light show them what you wouldn't see if it was just dark. In the darkness, you look at the crime scene, and you think, Looks pretty good. Maybe nothing happened here, but the flat, they start to shine light. They go, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that, that couch has been moved. That lamp has been knocked over. And the light shines on what's, what's not right. But here's the cool thing. When you watch those shows, not only do they have to have their flashlights, you ever see where they get those funky, cool UV blue lighty things out? Right, those things, boom. All of a sudden, when you think the criminal's done a great job cleaning up the murder scene, they shine one of those cool lights on it. And now you see where all the blood was, Right? As best as they try to clean it up, this light shines and shows where the brokenness is. And listen, we can try to clean up our lives. We can use religion. We can use good works. We can hide it. We can fake it. But when God's holy light shines in on our hearts, it doesn't matter how much hiding we do. Our our, our sinfulness, our brokenness is revealed. And listen, that's the good news, bad news. The bad news is this, we're exposed by this light. I mean, when Isaiah got close to God, he he says this, woe is me, I'm coming apart. 
Job meets this holy God and he says, I see you now with I and I despise myself in dust and ashes. Like, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's Old Testament God. He was angrier back then, but Jesus is nicer New Testament God. Yeah, except when Peter meets Jesus and finally recognizes his divinity, that he is Jesus, God the Son, Peter cries out to Jesus, depart from me, O Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Listen, that's the way you react when you get near a holy light, a real righteous holy God. You start to see your darkness. You start to read, when you read through the Bible, you start to understand that, man, man, there's nothing more pessimistic than the Bible. But there's also nothing more optimistic than the Bible. I mean, the pessimistic of the Bible, when you read through it, I mean, people say, well, well, well we can do things to improve our situation. There, there's things we can do to get out of the darkness. And the Bible comes along and says, uh, yeah, no, you can't. There's nothing you can do to rescue yourself. There's nothing you can do. All your efforts will fall short. Everything you do will fail. You are lost. You are completely lost in your darkness. That's what the Bible says. I mean, it's so pessimistic. But it's so realistic too, isn't it? I mean, so often we, we can look at the darkness and we can say, well, well, you know, maybe if I just light this little match of trying harder or, or maybe just this little candle of doing a little bit more in the darkness and, and I'll just try to live a better life and, and I'll try to rise above my circumstances and no, it doesn't work and we know it doesn't work. That's when the good news of the Bible comes in. That's where the optimism of God's word comes in because God steps in and says, listen, listen, I'm not looking to just make you a little better. The darkness can be destroyed. The darkness can be abolished forever. It can be. It will be swallowed up. That's the good news of the Bible. And John says, listen, God is light. Let me show you the way you can escape the darkness and find joy in the light. Look what he says in verse six and seven. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here's our second point this morning. God is light. Where we find that joy is by us walking in the light. As we walk in the light. And Jesus, listen, if you, if you say you have fellowship with God and you walk in the darkness, what's it say we are? It says we're, we're lying. We don't practice and live the truth. So John's saying, listen, if you, if you want to follow Christ, if you want to be sure you know the gospel, if you want to be sure of who you are in Christ, you want to know you're a child of God, then you make some choices with how you walk. That walking in scripture, it's a picture of our lifestyle. What's your life look like? How's your walk going? And, and here's what I want to make sure you understand. John isn't saying you have to live a life without any sin. Because saying, saying you have no sin, we're gonna to get to that later. No one can say that. We all have sin. But he means this. If you choose to walk in the darkness willfully, defiantly, you just pursue sin. That, that sinful lifestyle you continue in. That, that sin you go back to over and over again. And you don't have a problem with it any longer. Listen, you can't say that you love God. You can't say that you love the light if you continue to walk in the darkness. We, we can't say, yeah, Jesus changed my heart. 
but he didn't really change anything else about me. Because here's the thing, God does not save you because you said a little prayer, Jesus, please save me. God saves you because behind that prayer, there is a heart of repentance. There's a heart of faith saying, I'm trusting my life to you. Jesus, you're my savior. Jesus, I need you. And I would say this way, if, if I were to grab this stool here, I say, I trust this stool. And I would tell you all great things about this stool. And we, we'd sing songs about the stool. Have I actually put my life, put my faith? No, no, no. It's not until I take a position, a posture, where I say, okay, this is it. This is what I trust. I'm not trusting until I actually sit down. So, so, so here's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm saying this, this, this question is not, hey, did you pray a prayer or not to give your life to Christ? The question is this, what's the posture of your life look like? Did you actually repent and believe? And John's saying, you, you, can't, you can't be saved by the light if you hate the light. I can't say to my wife on our wedding day, hey, hey Libby, like I'm so excited to marry you, but hey, even after we're married, I'm, I'm still gonna pursue a bunch of other girls. I've got these other girls I've dated. I, they're they're, they're kind of nice. I'd like to go on dates with them. And, to, and, and like, that'd be, are you kidding me? Well, no, 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 like, like, like you're still number one. Like you're the best. Like, like, you're my number one. She would say, I don't want to be your number one. I'm your only one. We, we, can't, we can't come into to a relationship with God. And, and listen, it's not about perfection. But if, if you're walking in darkness, if there's no struggle at all in your life, and you're pursuing, hey, I, I, I got Jesus, but I also need these things. And you can live a life that you know is not pleasing to God and it doesn't bother you at all. There's, there's no conviction. There's no struggle in your heart. Here's what it means. John's saying this. It means you actually don't know Christ. You're not connected to Christ because if you're connected to Christ, you should not be comfortable in a consistent state of darkness. I've used this illustration before. It's, it's, it's like the difference between a pig and a sheep. We're, we're called sheep in, the, in scripture, right? If you're a follower of Christ, you're called a sheep. And, and both sheep and pigs can, can fall into the mud, can stumble into the mud. But, but the difference is this, a pig stumbles into the mud and the pig loves it. It's enjoying it. It's like, this is good mud, right? Pigs calling other people into it, right? Wait, come on in, it's so good, right? Sheep don't wallow in mud. Sheep will stumble into mud. And a sheep will say, I, I don't belong here. Listen, there are times, listen, there are times when as a sheep, as a, as a follower of Christ, where you may stay in the mud for a time. Why? Because you're being lied to by the enemy. That lie that often says, look at you. You're pathetic. I, I can't believe you're there in the mud. You, you, you call yourself a Christian covered in all that sin. Listen, it's in that moment where you can say, no way. No, Jesus turned. Jesus turned around. Jesus pursued. Jesus gave his life for me. Jesus suffered and died on a cross so that I could be set free even from this sin so that I could walk in the light. So it's not me. I, I don't stay here in the mud, man. I can get up and I can be forgiven. I can be set free. I mean, if, if you're fighting that sin, if you're in the battle, that's a good thing. Because here's the thing, it shouldn't feel okay to walk in the darkness. John's saying, don't embrace it. Don't embrace the darkness. Walk in the light. He said, when we walk in the light, we have fellowship. Now you would think John would say, when you walk in the light, you then have fellowship with God. But what's he actually say? 
if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. What's he doing? He's moving to the the implication of it. He says, when you walk in the light, he's assuming walking in the light, you have this vertical relationship with the Lord because you're walking in the light. The implication is you'll actually have better fellowship with each other. That that vertical takes care of the horizontal. I kind of look at it this way. If all of us are pursuing the gospel, walking in the light, cans that are shook up and, and joy is coming out, when all of us are pursuing the same thing, imagine us as a, as a huge orchestra and all of us have different instruments we play and you can choose your instrument, it's cool, whatever one you want, right? But what do we do? If we wanna play together, we all tune our instruments to one tuning fork. So what John's saying here, hey, when your life is about the gospel, when you're pursuing Christ, when you're all about what what Christ has done for you, you're tuning your heart to that. When we all tune our hearts to that same thing, it actually creates a harmony, a unity, a community and closeness with each other. So John says, "Don't, don't walk in the darkness, walk in the light and you'll have this joy, a joy that changes you and changes those around you. Now, here's the question, though. Well, what happens when I do sin? Because I'm not going to live perfectly. I mean, what happens when I find myself stumbling in the dark? I mean, what do I do to find joy in that moment? Well, John John gives us the answer. Look at verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Here's our last point this morning. It says, when we want to walk in this kind of joy, don't deny or hide your sin. Don't deny or hide your sin. We can have this joy of the gospel when our sin is no longer being denied, when our sin is no longer being hidden. Now, now, here's the thing. John's saying, hey, if you say you have no sin. Now, I would say in, in our context, if you were to press anybody in our culture, that nobody would admit to being perfect. Right? No one would say, well, I have absolutely no sin. I'm completely perfect. No one's gonna stand up here this morning and say, hey, hey, who would like to stand up and say that since meeting Christ, you become perfect? Because as soon as you stand up, people know you, right? They'll call it, yeah, no, you're not, Right? So so there is a heresy that that could have been being taught here in this early church. There is this heresy that says when you come to Christ, you will be made perfect. You will have no sin. So John's probably pressing in on that. But but for our context, I would say this. No one here is going to say you have no sin. But what do we do? We deny our sin in a different way. We blame shift when sin's exposed. It starts young, doesn't it? If you have kids, don't you see this right away? You've probably heard it. He hit me. She made a face at me, right? So you're going after them. Hey, how come you hit your sister? Well, he, she, she did this, right? We blame shift right away. It started all the way in the garden, right? Where, where God goes, Adam, what's going on? It's the wife you gave me. Eve going, it's the snake you created. The, everyone wants to blame shift. It's, it's a way that we deny our sin, as adults, what do we blame? We, we blame our environment. We blame our family dynamic. We can blame our spouse, our parents, our kids. We blame our personality. It's just who I am. Or, or, or we deny our sin not by blame shifting. We can deny our sin by, by kind of using kinder words for it trying to gloss over our sin and, and, and 
All through scripture, sin is described as death. And so, so you can picture yourself, somebody coming in here this morning with the spiritual effect of sin, which leads to death. So somebody can be here with a mortal wound. They're bleeding, right? They're coming in picture like, like, like Monty Python, the black knight, you know, arms cut off, legs cut off. It's only a scratch, right? That's kind of how we act. We walk in here completely destroyed by sin and we'll say things like, well, I've got some struggles, right? Tis but a scratch, I've had worse, right? And we redefine sin. I, I don't have a problem with anger. I, I just have a short fuse. I don't have a problem with lust. I, I just have wandering eyes. I don't have a problem with gossip. Here's one for church, right? I don't have a problem with gossip. I, I, I was just sharing information with them so we could pray more accurately about the situation, Right? I'm not fearful or a coward. I, I just don't want to hurt people's feelings. I'm not harsh. I'm just authentic. I mean, how often do we redefine our sin? And John's saying, don't do that. Don't, don't deny it. Don't redefine it. What's he say? What's the answer? Verse nine. The answer is confess our sins. Confess, it's, it's a word that means say the same thing as. It's when we start to see our sin like God sees it. No longer, oh, it was just a kind of a slip up. Oh, it was a, a bit of a mistake. I'm just kind of having this struggle. No, God, this is sin and I want to call it what you call it. I, I want to see my actions and say, Lord, here it is. This is my sin, my control, my anger, my worry my fear, my lust, my, my bitterness and unforgiveness, my, my pride, my greed, my dishonesty, my, my people-pleasing, my rebelliousness, my, my complacency. It's time for us to say, Lord, I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not denying it anymore. Here it is. This is what it is. It's sin and I need rescue. And, and here's where God's holy light shines in even brighter because it's not even just the action of our sin. We say, man, I need to stop this. It's his light shining deeper. If you could picture the action as the fruit on a tree, God's light shines deeper than just the fruit that we're trying to clip off to take care of the behaviors. His, his light shines deep down the trunk of the tree right to the roots, to our motives, our heart desires that are driving the actions. It's why as parents, we, we don't just tell our kids not to do things, right? We don't, we're not just all about behavior modification. We want to see, hey, what's the motive going on here? We want to press into our kids' hearts. Well, God, our Father, presses into our hearts the same way. And John here is pushing us to dig deep into the roots of our hearts. He's like, don't deny the sin. Let, let God's light re reveal it to bring it to confession. Because here's the other way we can, we can lose this joy. It's not just in denying our sin, but it's, it's also found when we hide our sin where the light of God's holiness shines and we don't understand God's grace and his mercy and his love for us. And so rather than saying, here's the sin, Lord, thank you for revealing, rather than the spirit pressing in with conviction, we then let it go to shame and we hide ourselves. I mean, John's showing us here Say, listen, don't, don't run from the light. The light's good. I kind of look at it this way. When I wake my girls up in the morning, most often their first request is, don't turn on the light, right? 
And if they're slow getting out of bed, I'm like, every light in the house goes on, right? And they do the same thing. They're like, ah, no, turn it on. They're like little gremlins. They're burning up in the light, right? And they're like, no. And, and oftentimes, God's light of his holiness, we read his word, his spirit presses in. And what do we do? Rather than moving towards the light that's so good, we shrink back. And John's saying, when you do that, you show you don't actually know God. He said, listen, you don't know God if you, if you willfully, if you defiantly, if you persist in sin and say, I'm, I'm going after it, I don't care. Listen, you don't know Jesus as Lord, but he's saying here, if, if we hide and refuse to admit our sinfulness, we don't know Jesus as our Savior. We don't need to hide. Instead, what can we do? We can move forward towards God's forgiveness and his grace. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, this is the beauty of the cross of Christ where God is faithful and just. On the cross, we see God's holiness and his righteousness and his justice in full display as, as wrath is poured out on Jesus for the sin of the world. But we also see on full display God's grace and his mercy. God is just, sin is punished. Christ bore the full weight of our sin, the justice of God. Sin was not overlooked. Sin was not excused. Sin was not just brushed off. Why? Because God is just. God is a good judge. If someone came before a judge and the judge just kept saying, don't worry about it, you're free to go. Ah, it's okay. We would say, you're not a good judge. Where's the justice? God's a good judge. To be a good judge, we know that sin needs to be paid for. I've said it this way. If I were to lend you my car this afternoon and you were to take my car and go out and do some donuts and wreck my car, someone has to pay to fix the car. Now I can say, hey, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Who pays for it then? I pay for it. You see, see, forgiveness always has a cost. Justice is always paid. And on the cross, you see God's justice and his holiness satisfied. His, his wrath of, on sin poured out on Jesus. Why? So that we now can experience the full mercy and grace that flows out of that holiness. I mean, God's holy light without the cross will crush you, but God's love without the light of his holiness is just trivial love. We need them both. That God is light, he is holy. That, that he had the right to crush us all in our sin, but he didn't, he sent his son. Jesus, God the son, to die for us. That's the only way for us to get out of this darkness to see the cross is the way for us to be lifted up. That's the way God destroys the darkness. It's the, it's the strength of what Jesus did on the cross. So then how then, how do I walk in this joy? How do I do this? How do I, how do I have this joy fill me up? I keep my eyes focused on the cross. You, you look to the cross. You see what Christ has done on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 says that Jesus bore our sins on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
Jesus died on the cross, First Peter's saying, so that we can move from darkness into light. That's the whole purpose of, of his death. And so when we look at the cross, when we're, when we're tempted to sin, when we're moving towards darkness, we see the cross and we see Christ and we hear Christ saying, hey, don't throw away the purpose of my death. I'm dying so you can be set free from that sin. And and on your way towards that darkness, on your way to pursue that sin, and you see the cross, I mean, can can you not hear Jesus say, haven't I been beaten enough? Do you need to hit me again? Do you you need need to put another nail in? I mean, when we disobey, we don't think that way, do we? We don't think of ourselves trampling over top of Christ to get to the sin. I mean, when we think about sin, we, we normally think about, well, I'm just tired. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just in need. Or I'm just kind of hurting and I need this. We don't think of it in the, in the way of, of, man, I'm spitting on Christ. I'm hurling insults at him. I'm stepping over his spilt blood to get to what I want. We don't think of it that way. I think that's the reason why it's so easy to get drawn into the darkness. Let's use the cross of Christ to bring us into the light. Because here's the thing, the cross can destroy that active power of sin over us where you can see Christ and say, wow, you gave everything for me. The thorns, the nails, the spear, all of it for me. And and we move then out of the darkness into the light and we move that way. Why? Not because we're worried that God will get us. Not because we're fearful of his judgment over us. Not because we fear that God won't love me in this brokenness and in this sin. No, no. The cross is that evidence that it'll go to any length to rescue us. One of my favorite authors just a secular author. His name is Douglas Copeland. He's a Canadian author. And, and a lot of times in his writings, he, he, he has like a spiritual aspect in, in his writings, in his books. And he was asked in an interview once. The interviewer said, hey, do, do, you, do you ever worry there's no God? And he said, no, I, I don't worry that there's no God, but I, I do worry that he doesn't like me. Listen, when, when you see the cross of Christ, see his love displayed for us. That, that while you're struggling in that sin, while you're pursuing righteousness, I, I kind of look at it this way. Picture yourself as a kid playing sports and maybe you're on the, you're on the, on the basketball court or the baseball diamond or, or, or on, the, on the, the ice at the rink and, and you've been playing in the game the whole game and you're wondering, you're wondering, man, did my dad come? Is my dad here? Is he watching? And, and as the game's progressing, you're getting to the end of the game, you're scanning the crowd looking and there you see his face and he's been there the whole time and his face is beaming with pride and love for you, that's your heavenly father. Then the midst of the struggle, he's drawing your heart. He's cheering you towards the light. I mean, the cross of Christ, what does it do? It draws our heart into the light of obedience. Why? Because it, it, it has us say, man, I have an unlosable love in Christ that, that was put on me, this love poured out on me at an unbelievable, incredible cost. Man, how could I ever trample on that? 
helps us in our temptation towards darkness. But here's the other thing the cross does. Not only does it help us to avoid pursuing darkness, it also, what happens when I do pursue it, because I will, when I do stumble into darkness, the cross of Christ reminds me that I'm rescued. That if you do sin, you can look to the cross and go, man, what is it that held Christ on that cross? He was God. He could have came off. He could have called legions of angels to just wipe everybody out. What held him on the cross? It certainly wasn't the nails that were driven into his wrists and his feet. What held him on the cross was his love for you. His love was so strong, it took hell itself being poured out. And you think if Christ bore that, the pain of the cross was not so much the physical pain. I think the pain of the cross was that he bore the sins of the world. And we understand that pain, don't we? You understand that pain when you feel the, the little pain in your gut about your own sin or, or if you see an atrocity going on in the world? When you see something horrible happening and you get that pain, now just picture that all of that from me. From the beginning of eternity until the end of our time here, all of that sin poured out on Christ. And do you think if, if he bore all of that, do you, do you think that, that your inconsistency, do you think that, that your, your sin, that, that when you stumble and fall, do you, do you think that that sin, that failure even today, is, is that enough that he goes, I'm done, I'm out? Do you think that'll wear his love out for you? Listen, if you're crushed under guilt or under shame, that you again can look to the cross and you can see God's love poured out for you. That that very same cross that when you see it keeps you from sinning, it's the same cross that restores you when you do. It's the amazing thing about the cross of Christ, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you fully understand the gospel, it draws your heart with joy towards righteousness. I mean, I wanna walk towards Christ. I wanna tuck in behind him. I wanna be where God is. But not only does it do that, it also, when, when you do stumble and fall, when you do choose sin, that same gospel cleanses you and you look at the cross of Christ and say, I've been restored. I've been set free. I've been called the child of God. So here's the thing as we close, as the worship team comes up. There are three things that can happen. Three things that we see from this text. You can obey because of the cross. You can pursue the light because of the cross. You can sin and repent and be set free through the cross. Or here's a third option. This is the only option that will destroy you. You can sin and refuse to repent. You can sin and say, my sins are too big, too great. But listen to what Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 and 19 say. It's gonna be on the screen up here behind me so you can follow along. It says, this is my hope for us. This is what will shake us up like that can of pop. Paul says this in Ephesians, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God.
Paul's prayer. That's my prayer for us as well. He said that you would comprehend this love of Christ. That, that word comprehend, it's a military term. It actually means to surround and to, to conquer, to, to capture it. So Paul's saying, I'm praying the Spirit of God would, would capture your hearts. So you'd be able to grasp, hold on to, knock over, get an understanding of that the gospel of Christ would shake you up this morning. And listen, as you seek this, sometimes it'll be a little nudge. Sometimes you'll be knocked flat out. But listen, my prayer is this, that the gospel, that the cross would be real to you. That even though you fail, you'd fall again to your knees. Even though you might not be going at the pace you would hope to be going after Christ, but that you would, you would once again, whatever that pace, whatever that movement, you'd be moving into again to the throne of grace. And maybe this morning, some of you, that's what you need to do. That for you this morning, you need to make that move towards the throne of grace where you see the cross again. Maybe for you this morning, being shaken up has to do with repentance. Say, man, I've been pursuing something I know I should not have been pursuing. Maybe for you being shaken up is to embrace the grace of God. Say this light has shone on my sin, but I'm not letting Satan show me that it's the way to shame, but I'm taking this to the throne of grace where I can experience forgiveness and new life again. That's my hope for us this morning. That again, we'd be shaken, shaken by the cross, shaken by the gospel so that our hearts fill again with this joy and this grace that can't help but pour out.